This recording, we're going to be going through one of the key conceptual ideas that Rab Chaim has in the laws of Chala. And similar to the previous recording, I usually try to insert some of the more contemporary discussion at the end of each piece. But this is an idea which Rab Chaim touches on in two different pieces, in Trumos Aleph Chaf Beis and in Bikurim Chesavav. And also similar to the previous piece, the Chazon Ish has a major conceptual difference with Rab Chaim about this. So it's worth devoting a separate recording to go through Rab Chaim's view on this and how the Chazon Ish differs. Rab Chaim's basic idea can be put in one sentence, which is he believes that the mitzvah of challah is unrelated to the growth of the wheat or to the making into flour or to any of the steps which occur prior to it becoming dough. According to Rab Chaim, the whole mitzvah of challah begins when the water and the flour are mixed together into dough. There is no other milestone with regards to challah. Now this he differentiates very strongly from the mitzvah of Meiser and Truma, where there are two different milestones. One is when the produce grows a third, and the second is when the produce is smoothed, meaning it's completed. But for challah, Reb Chaim insists that it only has this one milestone of when it becomes dough. Now there are two other potential milestones for the mitzvah of challah, which we'll discuss later. This is some of the questions on Reb Chaim. One is when the water hits the flour even before it's mixed into dough. That's one milestone that's proposed. And the second is when the bread begins browning in the oven so the baking process is beginning. So those are some of the questions on Reb Chaim's theory. Now, Reb Chaim applies this idea in at least two pieces in Chidush Reb Chaim HaLevi. The first is in Trumos Perak Aleph Halacha Chaf Beis, the second piece on that Halacha, where he differentiates between Chala and Meiser based on the above. And this is how he explains the difference between produce which is brought from outside of Eretz Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael, that with regard to Truma and Meiser, it's only obligated Midra Banan, whereas with regard to Chala, it's obligated Mida Oraisa. And the difference is because Truma and Meister has a first milestone when it grew a third, which was outside of Eretz Yisrael, so it can only be obligated Midra Banan at the most. Mido Raisa, it's always going to be exempt. As opposed to Chala, which was made into dough in Eretz Yisrael, so it becomes totally obligated at that moment, and it makes no difference where the wheat grew. So that's a key point for Rab Chaim. Whatever happened before the dough was made is irrelevant to the mitzvah of Chala. Doesn't matter where the wheat grew or anything else. Only where the dough was made, and if that was in Eretz Yisrael at a time when it's obligated in Chala, so then there's the full obligation of Chala. The second piece is in Hilchus Bikur in Parakhes Halacha Vav, where Rab Chaim uses this idea to explain why the Rambam limits the exemption of dough, which is Hefker, only to a case where it was Hefker at the moment when it became dough. But if it was Hefker beforehand, and even if it was Hefker after the water was poured into the flour before it was mixed into dough, in those cases the Rambam holds that if the person reacquired it before he made it into dough, then he would be obligated to take challah off. And this again is different from Meiser, where if the produce became Hefker during the process of Meiser, so after it brought a third before it was completed, then it would be exempt even if he reacquired it. So there's a clear difference between Meiser and Chala. So Rab Chaim explains again, based on this distinction, that Chala, the only moment that matters is when he makes it into dough. But before that is not going to affect the obligation of Chala. 
even though the Mishnah says one could take challah after the water is poured into the flour, even before it's made into dough, but that doesn't impact the actual obligation of challah, as opposed to meiser, where it's all part of one larger process. So those are the two places where Abchayim emphasizes this theme, that challah is different from meiser, and that there's no real process. There's only one moment when it's made into dough that determines whether it's going to be obligated in challah. Now, this idea of Rab Chaim seems to have made the rounds earlier than most of the other pieces in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi because it's quoted by some of his contemporaries or in Svarim right after, before Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi was more publicized. The first is Rab Chaim Ozer Grodzenski, who was an early Talmud of Rab Chaim in the Yeshiva of Valozhin, and later on he was the famed Rav of Vilna. So in his Chuvus Achiezer, Chelik Yeredeya, Simen Lamed Tes, and Os Tes and Yud, he quotes this idea from Rab Chaim, and he calls him Rab Chaim of Valozhin, reflecting his earlier relationship with Rab Chaim before Rab Chaim was more associated with the city of Brisk. Also, it's quoted in the Torah's Zroim by Rab Arya Pomeranchik, who was a close Talmud of Rab Chaim's son, the Briskerov. And he wrote two important svarim, the Emek Bracha and the Torah's Zroim, which is a commentary on the Mishnayos of Zroim. And unfortunately, he died young. So in his commentary on Chala Beis Aleph, he quotes this idea from Rab Chaim. But he saw it in the Torah journal Knesset Yisrael. Some ideas from Rab Chaim he heard. This one was obviously published in an earlier form in the Knesset Yisrael journal. Now, as I mentioned, there are two potential problems with Reb Chaim's idea that there's no process to be obligated in challah. It just happens at one moment when it becomes dough, and that is from when the water is poured into the flour, even before it's mixed, and second, when the challah begins to brown. So the first issue Reb Chaim himself deals with in the piece in Bikurim, and he brings the Mishnah in challah, which says that once the water is poured into the flour, a person could take challah, even though they're not obligated, and they also can't eat a full meal from that flour anymore. They can only snack on it. So all of this is a reflection that something changes when the water is poured into the flour, even though it actually becomes obligated in challah a bit later when it becomes dough. So Rab Chaim himself differentiates that even though something changes when the water is poured into the flour, that's not part of the mitzvah of challah. It's a separate halacha that there are certain changes at that moment. It does affect the status of the flour, but it's different than the actual mitzvah of challah, which only comes when it becomes dough. That's Rab Chaim's approach, and he develops it at length in the piece in Bikurim. Now, Rab Chaim's son, the Briskerov, in his Chidushim on Menachos, Tafsamel Zainam at Aleph, so he quotes this idea from Rab Chaim, and then he points out that it's actually a debate between the Rush and the Vilna Gaon. The Rush actually writes what Rab Chaim says, that when the water is poured into the flour, it does create a prohibition to eat a meal from this flour before the challah is taken. But the Rush says that's not as a result of the mitzvah of challah, because challah only takes place on an isa, on dough, and there's no dough here yet. So the rush says it must be some other prohibition, but it can't be derived from the mitzvah of chalas. So that's like Reb Chaim's approach. On the other hand, he quotes that the Vilna Gaon in his commentary, Shnos Eliyahu, explains that the prohibition to eat from the flour before it's made into dough and challah is taken 
is equivalent to the prohibition to eat a meal from produce which has grown a third, which hasn't had truma and meiser taken. Meaning just like the mitzvah of meiser creates a prohibition even before it's fully obligatory, when the produce is completed, even before that one can't eat a meal from the produce. So in the same way, the mitzvah of challah creates a prohibition even before it's totally obligatory when the dough is made. So that's obviously unlike Rab Chaim. So the Briskarov points out that Rab Chaim's following in the approach of the rush, but this goes against the Vilnagon. So the first proposed milestone for challah, when the water gets poured into the flour, would be according to the Vilna Gaon, the beginning of the process, whereas the Rosh and Rab Chaim hold that that's not the beginning of the process. Now Rab Chaim Ozer, in his Truven Achiezer, asks from the other proposed milestone, which is when the bread begins to brown. And he has a very long discussion of this, but to try to summarize some of the key points, it's based on a position of Rabbi Akiva in the Mishnah that the key moment for challah is not when it becomes dough, but when the bread begins to brown in the oven. That's when the challah obligation begins. Now, the Yushalmi seems to say that that's a process, meaning according to Rabbi Akiva, it begins when it's made into dough. That's not a meaningless moment for him. It's just the beginning of the process, and the full obligation happens when it browns in the oven. So from this Yushalmi, Rabbi Chaim Ozer derives the idea that there is a process with regards to challah, similar with regards to truma and meiser, where the process begins when the produce grows a third and finishes when it completes. So based on that, he suggests that even though the Chachamim disagree with Rabbi Akiva, but maybe in cases where there was no obligation when it was made into dough, they would agree that when the bread starts baking in the oven does become a significant moment. So maybe there is a way to say that there's a process even in the Chachamim, not only in Rabbi Akiva. And then once he says that, so then he suggests that the other milestone when the water is poured into the flour might also be the beginning of a process which ends when it's made into dough according to the Chachamim. So he has a few different suggestions as to how there might be a process for the mitzvah of challah parallel to the mitzvah of Meiser, which goes against Rab Chaim's idea that challah all happens at one moment. And he didn't have access to Chidush Rabbein Chaim Halevi or to the peace in Bikurim where Rab Chaim himself deals with the second question that he's raising. And Rab Chaim Ozer also notes that the Radvaz in his commentary on the Rambam seems to say the same approach as Rab Chaim. So there might be two Rishonim, the Rosh and the Radvaz, who both agree with Rab Chaim's approach. So that's some of the discussion surrounding Rab Chaim's idea. Now the most sustained critique of Rab Chaim comes from the Chazon Ish and he revisits this in a few places in his comments on Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi on the peace in Elchos Trumos and also on the Chazon Ish in Shvius in Simon Beis, Sifkat and Beis and also in a letter at the end of the Chelek on Kodshim, page 386. And there's a nice summary of this whole discussion in the Imros Avram on Chala, Perak Dalad, Mishnah Dalad. So the Chazon Ish has four questions on Rab Chaim's idea that Chala is unrelated to the growth of the wheat or anything which happens before it becomes dough. First, the Chazon Ish asks the most powerful question. Chala is called a mitzvah hatluya ba'aretz. It's a mitzvah which is land-based. That's why it only applies in Eretz Yisrael. The general rule is that land-based mitzvahs only apply in Israel. All other mitzvahs apply everywhere. So the fact that challah applies only in Eretz Yisrael means that it's a mitzvah tluya ba'aretz. Whereas according to Rab Chaim, it has nothing to do with the land. It doesn't matter where it grew. It's a dough-based mitzvah. 
So how, according to Rab Chaim's theory, can we explain that challah is considered an agricultural mitzvah if it's unrelated to the growth of the wheat? Now, interestingly, the Chazon Ish quotes that the Sefer HaMakne by Reb Pinchas Horowitz, who was the Rav of Frankfurt, he was one of the Rabbeim of the Chassam Sofer. So in Kiddushin, Daflamid Vavamid Beis, Tosos has a question on the Mishnah, which says this whole principle, this distinction between agricultural mitzvahs versus object-based mitzvahs. So the Mishnah gives two examples of agricultural mitzvahs which do apply outside of Eretz Yisrael. And that's Arla and Klaim. So Tosus quotes that the Yushalmi asks, what about a third example of Chala? Because even though it's exempt Midoraisa, but it is rabbinically obligated in Chutzla Aretz. So why not also list Chala as one of the agricultural mitzvahs, which is obligated outside of Eretz Yisrael? And Tosus discusses this question. So the Hamakna suggests that the Yerushalmi holds Chala is an agricultural mitzvah, but the Bavli disagrees. It holds that it's not a mitzvah hatluya ba'aretz, which is exactly what Rab Chaim's saying. And the Amakna himself says two of Rab Chaim's main arguments because the Chala only becomes obligated when it's dough. So the mitzvah is unrelated to the growth of the wheat in any way. It begins once it becomes dough. So that's not land-based. It's not a mitzvah hatluya ba'aretz. And also wheat, which is brought brought into Eretz Yisrael would be fully obligated in challah. So again, you see that it's not land-based, it's object-based, but there's a halacha that the dough has to be made in Eretz Yisrael. So the Hamakna himself already preceded Reb Chaim in saying that challah is not a mitzvah tluya ba'aretz. Now on the other hand, Rashi and Kiddushin Lamed Zayin Amad Aleph gives a list of chovas karka, land-based mitzvahs, and one of the mitzvahs in the list is challah. So he explicitly writes that challah is a mitzvah tluya ba'aretz like the Chazon Isha's view. So this debate between Reb Chaim and the Chazon Ish seems to be an earlier debate between Rashi and the Hamakna and maybe Tosus and the Yushalmi are in there. So there's early discussion about this issue. Again, the central issue is, is challah considered a mitzvah tluya ba'aretz? Is it an agricultural mitzvah or it's an object-based mitzvah? The second question the Chazon Ish asks on Rab Chaim's approach is that the halacha is that there's a distinction between chadash, newer wheat, and yashan, older wheat, meaning wheat from different years with regards to challah. You can't take challah from dough which is made from chadash wheat and have it count towards dough which was made from yashan wheat. If you're taking challah from two different batches, they have to be from wheat that grew the same year. So the Chazon Ish asks that that seems to imply that there is a connection between the mitzvah of challah and the growth. Because if it's totally independent of the growth, why does it matter what year this wheat is from? According to Rab Chaim, all that matters is that it became dough. So why are we still interested in what year the wheat from which the dough was made grew in? So that too indicates, says the Chazon Ish, that the mitzvah is connected with the growth of the wheat. The third question the Chazanish raises is that a lot of the halachas of challah, so if a non-Kohen eats challah on purpose, they get misabi deshamayim punishment. If they eat it by accident, they have to pay an extra fifth. You can't take the challah and have it count for a batch from a different species. Ein tormin min min al she'eno mino. All of these halachas are derived from a comparison between challah and truma. And in fact, challah is considered almost a form of truma. So if 
if that's the case, says the Chazonish, it should also function the same as truma and be related to the growth of the produce. The mitzvah of truma is very clearly related to the actual growth of the produce. So if challah is so connected to the mitzvah of truma, then it should also be a mitzvah which results from the growth of the produce. The fourth point the Chazonish raises is a parallel with Reishis Hagez, the mitzvah of first shearings of wool to give to the Kohen. So there too, the mitzvah results from the cutting of the wool, not from the growth of the wool. But the Gemara in Chulin on Daf Koflamid Vav Amid Aleph says that it has to grow under the ownership of a Jew. So if a Jew buys a sheep from a non-Jew with fully grown wool and then he shears it, he would not be obligated to give it to the Kohen. Even though the moment of obligation happens at the shearing, but it still has to be a case where the growth connects with the mitzvah obligation. If the growth is totally removed from the mitzvah of Reishis Hagez, then there wouldn't be an obligation even when he shares it. So in the same way, says the Chazonish with Chala, even though the mitzvah comes when he makes the dough, but there does have to be a growth which created the scenario of the mitzvah. If the growth is totally removed from the mitzvah of Chala, then it would not be obligated. So this is the Chazonish's view and some of his powerful arguments in favor of the idea that with regards to the mitzvah of Chala, it's also connected to the growth of the produce in Eretz Yisrael. It's similar to Truma and Meiser and other mitzvahs in that regard, that it too is connected to the growth of the produce. Now, the Imros Avram adds something very important here, and that is the Chazon Ish himself agrees that even though he's comparing Chala to Truma and Meiser, that it's a mitzvah tluya ba'aretz, but there is a fundamental difference. Because the Gemara says that the Jews became obligated in Chala as soon as they entered Eretz Yisrael, even before they captured and divided it. Whereas Truma and Meiser, they were only obligated in 14 years later after they had settled and divided the land. So there's obviously a difference here. And the way the Chazonish explains that is that the capturing and dividing of Eretz Yisrael was what endowed it with Kedusha, with sanctity. Until then, the land was promised to the Jews, but it was not sanctified. So that's why the mitzvahs of Truma and Meiser didn't begin during those 14 years because it had to be produce which grew in sanctity in order to be obligated in Truma and Meiser. Produce which grew in Eretz Yisrael before it was sanctified was not obligated in Truma and Meiser. But that's different than Chala where the Chazonish says the criteria is that it has to grow in Eretz Yisrael but not in sanctified Eretz Yisrael. So long as the produce grew in Eretz Yisrael, it would be obligated in Chala. So again, even though Truma and Meiser and Chala are related in the sense that all of them are agricultural mitzvahs based in Eretz Yisrael, but there is a key difference because Truma and Meiser require Kedushas Eretz Yisrael, whereas Chala just needs to grow in the land that was promised to the Jewish people of Eretz Yisrael. So that's why Truma and Meiser didn't begin when the Jews first entered Eretz Yisrael until they captured it and the land became sanctified. Now, the Imros Avram quotes that Rav Aaron Cutler had an amazing approach to this, and it's similar to the overall approach of the Chazon Ish, but his formulation is different. It's a major modification. This is in Mishnas Rav Aaron on Zroim, in Simen Yud Zayin, Sifkot, and Hay, and in Simen Yud Ches, Sifkot, and Aleph. And Rav Aaron argued that there's actually two forms of Kedushas Eretz Yisrael. There's the sanctity which comes from the capturing of the Jewish people, from Kibush, and there's the sanctity which comes from Hashem's promise that He's going to give them the land. 
that promise itself endowed Eretz Yisrael with Kedusha. So even when the Jews first entered Eretz Yisrael, there was a sanctity. It wasn't the full Kedusha, which would come after they conquered it, but there was Kedusha. Now, Rabbi Aaron says that there are different agricultural mitzvahs. Some, like Truma and Meiser, require the Kedusha of Kibush. So that's why they didn't take effect until 14 years after the Jews came in. Whereas others, like Chala, only require the Kedusha of Hashem's promise. So that's why it took effect as soon as the Jews entered. So this is the twist that Rabbi Aaron has on the Chazon Ish's approach, because he agrees fundamentally with the Chazon Ish that Chala is a mitzvah tluya ba'aretz, it's based on the land and it's connected to the growth of the produce. But whereas the Chazon Ish says that it's just the land of Israel, even without Kedusha, Rabbi Aaron says there has to be some Kedusha, and that Kedusha was rooted in Hashem's promise to give the land to the Jewish people. Now, Rabbi Aaron continues with an amazing step. The Gemara has all sorts of questions about whether the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael is Batla. Once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed and the Jews were exiled, was that sanctity removed from the land or it was permanent sanctity? Says Rabbi Aaron, that question can only apply to the mitzvah of Truma and Meiser because they depended on the Jews' capturing of the land to begin with. But Chala, which never depended on the Jews capturing the land, it was because of Hashem's promise. So even once the Jews were exiled, it's still obligated in Eretz Yisrael because the promise of Hashem is still there. So that level of Kedusha remains. It's certainly permanent. So Chala would still apply in Eretz Yisrael even after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And says Rabbar, and that's why we don't find in the Gemara this discussion about whether the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael was canceled with regard regard to Chala, only with regard to Truma and Meiser. And the Rambam also in Hilchus Beis Abachira, Perek Vav Halacha Chaf, and also at the end of the first chapter of Hilchus Trumos, when he formulates this Halacha, that the sanctity was cancelled, he only says, Legabe Maestros Ushvius, with regards to Meiser and Shmita. But he doesn't include Chala. So the indication is, like Rabaran saying, that Chala's Kedusha, which was a lower level because of Hashem's promise, did remain. There was no question that was never canceled. And then Rabaran adds beautifully that this explains the Gemara in Ksubis on Chafhe Aleph, where it records a debate about whether Chala versus Truma applies nowadays after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, Mido Raisa or Midra Banan. So one view has it that Chala nowadays is Do Raisa and Truma is Drabanan, and the other view is the exact opposite, that Truma is Do Raisa and Chala is Drabanan. Now the view that Chala is Do Raisa explains it based on the fact that the Jews were obligated in Chala during the first 14 years when they were capturing and dividing Eretz Yisrael, even though they weren't obligated in Truma at that time. So Rabaran asks, what does this ancient history have anything to do with anything? The debate in the Gemara centers on whether the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael was canceled after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So the view that holds Chala is Drabanan is because there is no more Kedusha. So what does it matter that the Jews were obligated in Chala during the first 14 years before they settled Eretz Yisrael? Says Rabbar, and this is exactly what he's been explaining, that since the sanctity of Chala is not dependent on capturing Eretz Yisrael, 
but comes purely from Hashem's promise. So that's why the Jews were obligated during the first 14 years before they captured the land. And that directly leads to why it doesn't matter that the Kedusha was lost after the destruction of the Beis Mikdash, because that was only the enhanced Kedusha from the capturing of Eretz Yisrael. But Chala never needed that to begin with, so it never changed after the destruction of the Beis Mikdash. So that's why the first 14 years after the Jews went into Eretz Yisrael are a good proof to the fact that challah nowadays is Doraisa. So this is Rab Aaron's very nice piece. It follows largely the perspective of the Chazon Ish, but it's even more extreme in his formulation that he believes that challah too depends on Kedushas Eretz Yisrael. It's just a different form of Kedusha from the more regular kind which came through the capturing of Eretz Yisrael. So there's a lot more to be said about this, and there's other formulations in the Achronim along the lines of Rab Aaron to say that there is Kedushas Eretz Yisrael even aside from the capturing and occupying of Eretz Yisrael, because that helps explain a number of halachic issues, and also just logically, it seems unlikely that Eretz Yisrael is totally devoid of all Kedusha. So there are other formulations, and there's more to be said about this, but this is Reb Aaron's formulation of it, and he connects it with Chala, which touches on the broader issues that Reb Chaim and the Chazon Ish are debating, and he has a nice twist on the Chazon Ish's approach.